Food and Beverage Magazine Live, bringing food and beverage to life with your hosts, James Beard Award winner Jennifer English and Food and Beverage Magazine publisher Michael Politz. Featuring leaders in the hospitality, branded food and beverage, and CPG industries, many of whom are Jennifer and Michael's friends in the business. For an informal and informative conversation where friends in the business share the latest intel, ideas, and best practices. Live, juicy inside scoop from the tastemakers, newsmakers, bread bakers, drink shakers, spoon lickers, clam diggers, farms, foodies, and friends of the food and beverage magazine world. Here are your hosts, Jennifer English and Michael Politz. Well, hello, my quarantine goddess. How are you? Quarantined, just like everybody else. Oh, my God. Tell us about today. I'm very excited. This is a big show. This is a ginormous show because this is one of those places where the intersection of our industry and the vanguard of what's happening news-wise um, in the economy, in the culture, are absolutely crossing. And landmark experiences are happening that are turning into landmark legal disputes, that are turning into landmark legal decisions across the board. It is a profound time of change. There is no doubt about that. That's not in dispute. What we are finding, however, is that there is still a great amount of conflict. And when we say conflict, we're talking about the conflict that exists between hanging on to the old system and breaking through to create a new environment in which to work and live and make business. Right. And one of the things I wanted to start off with You've got a book coming out because this is a big week for us here at Food and Beverage Magazine. Your book is coming out this week. Look at that book. Is that the book? It's very big. It's bigger than your face. Have you ever seen a book bigger than your face like that? It's a Honey, big I know. book. Not much is bigger than my my. It's job. a big show and a big book. What do you mean? Hey, yeah. So, so they're at the warehouse right now in Hoboken, and uh, they are shipping out to all the Barnes and Nobles and Amazon and Books a Million and all the all the. Uh, really all the bookstores all across the country. And this is a perfect time for this book because right. whether you're already in the business or you want to get in the business, which, which by the way, not a bad, I know it looks like it's a bad time, but it's a good time to start developing yourself to get into the business given the new requirements. Because now you finally have rules and structure, right? Before it was like, I want to open a restaurant. What do I do? Right. Now here you have structure that you have to follow rules, right? I mean, you have minimal rules of the health department before, but now it's, these are the real rules. How do you make money doing it? And imagine starting with a clean slate. And this, you could start for under $25,000 in your own restaurant. That's that's the key to this whole book. Well, I, I don't really publicize to... that though. We don't pop, I don't want to push it and look look like a hokey guy, but you can it, it can happen. And people are going to say, "Oh, restaurants aren't going to be the same." But the activity of being a restaurant may look different, but the activities and strategies and tactics and best practices of this book can be applied, whether it's a ghost restaurant or a delivery. There's all kinds of ways to apply it. The fundamentals are still going to be the same. But one of the things I want to make sure we address with this is when we're talking about your book coming out. And by the way, kudos to Wiley. Wiley Publishing, I've been a fan yeah. of theirs for years. They do a really solid job in the food space. Um, 
one of the things that was really essential about this to me is when you and I were talking about launching this show, you said to me that one of the most important things we could do was to reinvigorate and re-inspire everybody who's an operator to have that passion. Reignite that spark. Reignite the spark. And we talk about it. We talk about it. When you're going into the restaurant, and our next guest will be able, he's an attorney. He'll be able to tell us this. He's probably told clients over and over again, if you want to be a millionaire in the restaurant business, start with $10 million because it is a scary thing, right? And there's something inside of it. And there's a, some kind of a fire in these people that burns all that negativity away. And they're like, I need to be a restaurateur. I need to be a restaurateur. You have and to then know, they but do. What we're going to talk about today is something that was alluded to a few weeks back when there was a White House summit and the restaurateurs came around the table. But I'm going to tell you about the first time that I really considered this part of a national conversation. After Hurricane Katrina, many of the restaurateurs that were impacted by Katrina were not carriers of a particular kind of insurance called business interruption insurance. If you are a you know, really long time, very successful restaurateur, super sophisticated business person, you would have known about that. And you would have been one of the few people that might have carried that and had that. Was Brennan with some of the bigger names down there in New Orleans? So, so I know Commander's of, Palace, Emerald. Commander's Palace was, was one of the people that survived in part because of the business interruption insurance. Right. So now a lot of people are looking at this thinking, oh, well, I just have to get that insurance. So a lot of people in the restaurant business said, well, I don't want to be one of those guys that gets, you know, shut out the next time there's a disaster and there's likely to be any number of these. It's worth the investment because this is a long-term multi-outlet operation for us right. as celebrity and celebrated chefs went around the world and they all came out to see you in Las Vegas and they went all over the place they had a really large dollar enterprise growing that they had to protect. Right. And some so, of our friends. Some of our friends. And so my understanding is a lot of people went into this saying that's one of these expenses. It's almost like a luxury to afford because it's not inexpensive insurance. And margins are really thin in the restaurant business. So people think they have this business interruption insurance. And guess what happened with this crisis? And that's the topic for today's show. Wow. So so that is a great, that's a very, very good topic that people really need to listen to. Because, Even, and I want to find out also if small guys, because you know, we hear about all the big guys, right? But what about the little guys? Let's 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 introduce the next guest so we can bring him on. I don't want so, him sitting backstage. He charges by the hour. What's wrong with you? God knows what this is gonna cost, what it's costing somebody. Go ahead. Our first and only guest today, because this is a serious topic that deserves our undivided attention, and we want to give you the chance that if you have any questions that you want to pose, that you can go on to Facebook and ask or the question. Or you to I think it's important that we give the audience the opportunity. This is a this is a pipeline of information to the absolute source. Business Interruption Group was formed when several well-known, well-established, award-winning restaurateurs, many of whom are our friends in the business, went to make a claim on their business interruption insurance. Do they do that individually? Well, we're yes. going to find out. Okay. 
There is now a group, and we'll talk about that, and one of the world's leading experts now on the topic of business interruption insurance, and from the business interruption group that has formed just to address some of these issues, is a pioneer and a leader in the revolutionary realm of legal fights relative to insurance companies, because that is how reform truly happens. Revolutions don't necessarily take place with a musket and a cannon anymore. They take place because people like John, who's our first guest today, are are fighting this fight even when we didn't realize that there was a fight to be had. Um, John Hathler II joins us now from his legal lair in his sartorial splendor. I love his bow tie. Welcome, sir. He's on mute. John, you're on mute. Let's unmute John. Okay. Well, thank you. Thank you for having me. So um, we had to set this up because this isn't just something that is just a matter of course, the way that you have to get, you know, flood insurance if you live in a flood zone. Um, this is a topic that has come into our consciousness pretty much since Katrina. Can you give us a brief history of business interruption insurance, a primer, if you will? Yeah, sure. You know, business interruption insurance is actually relatively new concept uh, in insurance, and and it was recognized uh, and that that if businesses um, are shut down for a long period of time. That many businesses are not—you're not able to just go flick the lights off, uh, walk out, and then and then come back and turn the lights back on. Uh, there are many businesses, um, and and this is true in the restaurant industry in particular, that are very labor intensive. So you can't just shut things down for a small for for a period of time and then restart up again because what you do is very labor intensive. So a lot of labor intensive businesses. Um, have gone out and sought out this type of insurance. And there's many restaurants, you know, restaurants, I mean, you guys know this, it's, it, it's very labor intensive. Uh, the restaurant industry is, uh, is the largest private sector employer in America. It, it employs 15.6 million people. Uh, people don't often realize that about the restaurant industry, but it's because it's so labor intensive. So many, many restaurant tours um, have gone out, not not just large ones, but small ones as well. And their brokers have said, you know, if there's ever a shutdown, like there was in Katrina, or or if there's civil authority shutdowns, uh, you can have coverage for this. And and uh, depending upon the size, it's not always expensive. It depends on the size of your business. You pay, uh, you take part of your profits, and you pay a certain portion of it uh, in case uh, you're shut down. And um, you know, as a, as a, you know, I was speaking uh, to Congress. I testified in front of Congress a couple weeks ago, and I explained the pe- what people don't often know, and and that is if if you're an American worker uh, today, the chances are you work for a company that has taken out this type of insurance, and it actually has paid to protect your paycheck in a civil authority shutdown, and so even without the payroll protection program. Yeah, yeah. Even out with, without these disaster um, relief programs, some of which are working well, and some which are not working well for many for many restaurateurs. Um, but people have paid for this business interruption coverage, and um, and and this isn't just true for restaurants; it's true of businesses around the country. Um, they expected to get it. They they expected that when the civil authority shutdowns were coming, that they had paid part of their profit for years, sometimes decades, to be protected. 
John, is this for many industries or is this something that's particularly useful for the hospitality industry? Does this cross over into other areas as well? Yeah. So, so most businesses, as I said, that have lots of employees have this type of coverage. Um, and many restaurants have this type of coverage. Many restaurateurs that have been around because brokers and agents have gone and, and explained if you have lots of employees, you know, if you if you if you employ lots of people, if there was ever a civil authority shutdown, if your business would ever shut down, what do you do? You can't just furlough all of your workers and then be gone. And, right. and Jennifer, you mentioned, um, you know, Hurricane Katrina. You know, and I was I, I'm, I'm, I'm here from my office in, in New Orleans and I lived in New Orleans and lived through um, that disaster of Katrina. And it, and it really affected the restaurants, of course, because. There's lots of people, but what what people realize is that after they got shut down, their employees go to different places. And what we really understand, those of us that have businesses that really rely on people, is how important people are to the business. They're essential. You know, uh, restaurants. What do you do? You you serve people. You know, you 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 nurture people. You serve people. It's very labor intensive uh, to do that. And when you lose your people, you lose your business. And oftentimes the expense of training them mm -hmm. and the expense of, of seeking new employees, great places uh, have very little turnover because they do a very good job of creating a culture to keep people. That's why when you go to a city like New Orleans and you visit with T and Lally or you go to a place uh, like Galatoire's, you yeah. might have the same server that served your parents or grandparents. Yeah, that, that's very true where I'm from. You know, the, the, um, if you live in New Orleans, the restaurant hospitality is, is, is part of, it's ingrained in your culture. But you know, it's interesting as I, as I go around and now that this has affected so many people in the country, um, and, the, and since the restaurants got shut down first around the country and universally, I think more people who are outside the restaurant industry are starting to realize how absolutely ingrained restaurants and hospitality are to every sector of the economy. There is not a place where people gather in mass that doesn't have a restaurant or hospitality component to how it functions. And so we're starting to realize, I think America is starting to realize, and people are, about not being able to go to a restaurant. People are like, you know, they desperately want to go. And I mean, that's where we socialize. That's where we meet on occasions. That's where we bring our families together. Um, that's where our friends gather to, to have something. And, and we're starting to realize with that part of our culture gone, yeah. that, it, that, it, that it's, it's part of the very fabric. I mean, you can't say that about every industry, that it's part of the fabric of everything you touch, but you can with the restaurant and hospitality industry. And I think now Americans, I mean, or every, not just Americans, this is across the world, is starting to really understand how important your industry is. When we talk about business interruption insurance, can you give us maybe a one minute first day of business school explanation about what it actually is and does? Yeah. So when it works properly and we, we can discuss how it's not working and it's not working, people are not getting what they purchased. But what people purchased um, was, you know, it, you pay a certain amount um, every month like you do for it's part of your property coverage. And in most most cases, this is a rider part of when you're covering your restaurant, you're covering your business. You're, you're paying a certain amount to protect 
your very vital uh, expenses in the time of a shutdown. So your payroll, your rent, your your things that that you that you need to keep your business on pause. Right. Um, that's part of what business interruption coverage is, and it's and it's measured. So when you go and you apply for business interruption coverage, you give them information about your business, and 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 essentially what you're doing is you're building like it. You're paying for like a lifeboat. You know, imagine when you go on a cruise. Part of part of your cruise money is not just for the cabin and the entertainment on the ship, but part of it is in case everything goes down, you have a lifeboat there to get on. It's not going to be as luxurious. But you're essentially paying for that lifeboat in case the unexpected happen. And in every business interruption policy, there's a section of it called civil authority coverage, which means that if the government shuts you down, not not that there's a fire in your place or if there's a contamination, but if the government shuts an area down, you actually have coverage for that. And, and people paid for that, and that's actually in every business interruption policy. Unfortunately, the restaurants uh, started to find out around the time of the shutdowns that the insurance companies were not going to honor those those contracts. So let's go back to that point in time, mid-March. For a lot of people, we use the St. Patrick's Day as our start date for most of us and say from this date forward, this is how long we've been in the shutdown. Um, certainly for the couple weeks before that, the beginning of March, there was indeed a really substantial, notable decrease in business, especially in on-premise and uh, in-house dining and, and the hospitality industry and certainly in hotels, et cetera. Talk a little bit about what happened and how it happened and, and what the economic impact for the hospitality industry in particular, although I'm, I understand you've got other people in other parts of the world, and we'll talk about those, but particularly for our chef friends and for people in the industry. Yeah. Take back to March. Yeah. So, so if you go, um, things started happening actually before the middle of March. I started getting leaks because I'm, I'm at the tip of the spear of a lot of this insurance fighting or the center of the bullseye, if you look at it from the perspective of the insurance agency. Um, I, I, I started to get some leaks from the industry about what was happening and the insurance industry was starting can to, inter- can I interrupt you for one second? Were you in the business interruption industry prior to the COVID crisis? Yes. So I've, I've been, um, I've been in a leadership role in just about every insurance disaster in the last 20 years. So in Katrina, the attorney general hired me in the aftermath of hurricane Katrina to police the insurance companies who are not paying their policies. And so every major disaster, I'm in some some sort of a role in Superstorm Sandy, which was one of the last major, major insurance events. Um, I, I was uh, uh, retained by the courts to represent um, um, the majority of people in the tri-state area in, in Superstorm Sandy. So I've been, I've been involved in this. And so I, I started to get in, in information from the other side. And when I started to hear is the insurance industry um, they realized that many of their policies would apply to the civil authority shutdown um, and that those civil authority shutdowns were coming. By, 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 the, by February, the industry started talking with each other and they said, you know, if they shut the restaurants down in America, um, the restaurants are a big deal. Restaurants 
contribute more than a trillion dollars right. to, to the economy every year. If they shut the restaurants down in there, we have to start looking at what civil authority coverage we sold to these restaurants and how much we're going to have to pay. And some of them said, you know what? We had exclusions for pandemics. Well, what they realized is when they actually read the policies that not many of them do. Um, and some have virus exclusions, but many of the policies didn't have exclusions. So the industry went and um, it was really quite, it, it's really quite sad, uh, but, but it devious. But what they did is they came up with legal arguments as to why they weren't going to pay these civil authority coverages. Um, and, and so what we started to see is the reasons for the civil authority shutdowns, um, the governments that were shutting things down first in China. If you remember in, in March, on March 11th, um, they shut down the businesses in Italy. So Italy shut down first and, it, and, and the, the shutdowns in the United States didn't follow, but a few days later. Um, but when, the, when they shut down the restaurants in, on the 11th, on the 12th, it was very interesting. The insurance industry came out with a white paper from the leading defense firm, and they explained that they were not going to pay the coverage for anybody. And they were going to pay no matter what the policy said for the civil authority shutdowns that were coming. Um, now, this was, a, this was an industry journal that I ended up getting, but it was indicative of what they were going to say. And, and what they were going to say was this. It was quite interesting argument that they have. They said that the reason for the civil authority shutdown, you have to have, in order for there to be coverage, the reason for the civil authority shutdown has to be that there's a dangerous property condition in the area. That's how the policies read. They say, if the civil authority is shutting you down, because there's a dangerous condition in the area of the shutdown, then you have coverage. So they started to look at it and they said, you know, these civil authority orders that are coming, yes, they're coming, but we're not going to pay them. And we're not going to pay them because the civil authorities are only going to be about social distancing. They weren't going to be about a dangerous property condition. And I looked at that and I said, wait a second, they're shutting things down because COVID-19 is not just, it's not just about social distancing. It's because it can be contaminated and get on stuff. It's creating a dangerous property condition because it's contaminating stuff. And these civil authorities are not. And if it wasn't dangerous, they wouldn't need to do anything. Absolutely. And so the industry, though, what I found out before the civil authority shutdowns is the insurance industry was going to misrepresent the government orders. Um, And I got word of this before the government orders happened in the United States. They were going to argue that the civil authority orders had nothing to do with the contamination. It only had to do with social distancing. And we knew this wasn't right because we could see the government officials on TV saying, you got to wash your hands, be careful of contaminate surfaces. And this is the difference between coverage and no coverage under the policies. And so it was an interesting thing because on the, on the 12th of March is when they, uh, the 12th of March is when they came out with their white paper. Well, that very day, I happened to be having a culinary event in my home in New Orleans. And Jerome Bocuse of the famous Bocuse oh, family. Oh, wow. Well, he's a, John is very, very, very fancy if he has Jerome in his house. <laughs> I have fancy friends. Did okay. you ask him why his father created such little portions? Yes, yes. I, I know. I, I knew Mr. Paul quite well. I asked Mr. Paul that question. He looked at me like I was crazy. Yes, I invented it, son. He said, have more. Yeah. <laughs> so we were happening to do, uh, and I'm not in the restaurant business, but I live in New Orleans, but, but my best friends are chefs. And, 
And ironically, Jerome Bocuse um, and a bunch of other chefs, Thomas Keller, Danielle Belude, dear friends of mine, they would always be coming, they would always come to these disaster uh, places where, where I would be doing some insurance recovery and they would be doing charity fundraisers. Well, here we were, we were doing an event um, on March 12th and Jerome showed up, he had all his chefs and everything and we're about to do our big meal. And he said, he walked, I remember him walking, he walked into the room and he says, oh my gosh, John, they're going to shut the restaurants down. And this was literally happening the next day. I said, I know. He goes, but I have civil authority coverage. I'm good. I, I paid for this coverage for business interruption. And I said, Jerome, I have bad news. I said, they're not going to pay it. He said, what do you mean? He said, well, in order for the civil authority coverage to, to be in effect, it, they have to be shutting things down because there's a dangerous property condition in the area. He says, they're con it's contaminating stuff. Of course, that's the reason. I said, I know, but they're going to misrepresent it. So that evening, we, were, uh, we started talking. And then the next day, we started calling Thomas Keller, Danielle Belude. We got on the phone with Wolfgang Puck and John George and a bunch of other people. And we said, look, they're going to shut the in the next day or so. They're going to shut down the entire restaurant industry in the United States. And when they do so, the insurance companies are going to deny everyone. And this is absolutely critical. Because I mean, this is the this is a trillion dollars to the economy. Not only is it all of our friends, not only is it, it's the entire restaurant industry, and the insurance companies have backed this. Okay, they've sold a lot of businesses, and if they don't get it, we all know what can happen: the businesses can go bankrupt. Um, so we quickly coalesced, and that's how we coalesced. We coalesced the what was the formations of the business interruption group a nonprofit. We formed it just that weekend. And we called all the restaurateurs and, and the hotelers that we had and, and, and all of our friends that we knew in the industry. The chefs, as you know, they, they have a long reach of people that look up to them and millions of people are followers on Twitter and, and, and Facebook and things. And so we said, we have to get the word out. And number one, we need to get the word out that the insurance companies are not, they're not, they're not representing these civil authority orders correctly. Um, and that people may have coverage. Uh, and so, and then we actually went to the governments and we told the governments what the insurance companies were going to say. Um, and that the governments needed with the civil authority orders to, uh, to, to, to specify the reasons so that the insurance companies couldn't deny it. Um, and, and that's what started a movement that just in the matter of weeks, there was thousands and thousands of companies across America that joined in the protests. Wow. Um, this is all less than 90 days old. Um, yeah. Um, I mean, within two weeks, we had so many because you have to think, I mean, and, and you, you all know this because you're in the business and all of your, your viewers would know how integrated the restaurant business is. I mean, you know each other, people know each other and, and there's lots of employees and there's lots of people. So, so one chef, you know, one restaurant tour knows so many people. Um, and, and this word spread so quickly through the restaurant hospitality industry that, that number one, we had paid for coverage. And number two, we weren't going to get paid. And what would it was going to do that it was so um, the voices came so fast and furious that President Trump called us um, within two weeks. And on the 29th of March, there was a call, which is seven of us on the phone 
um, with President Trump. And, and he asked about the policies and he wanted to see them. And he and he recognized that not all of them have exclusions, and that and that the insurance companies aren't doing the right thing. And with and, with, and right after that, he had a press conference, which he recognized. And so so there's a lot of support in getting the word out. There was a support very quickly in getting the word out there. One of the things I want to take this opportunity to do is to break down something really sort of technical and simple about the way jurisprudence in the judiciary works. In any case in, in law, most times somebody goes to court because there's a dispute. Would you talk a little bit about the nature of dispute? Because when you say and help us understand that the unfairness was born of someone about to do the wrong thing in terms of misrepresenting, that almost everybody can point to that and say that's wrong. Help us understand why a court's going to care about that and listen to this. Why well, would the court just say, you have no business coming here. You were just wrong. How can you go from making that you know, sort of judgment, that instant judgment, to letting it actually become a thing? Help people understand how that works. Yeah, well, one of the things you have to do is we, we, saw, the, um, we saw the wrong coming. You know, we, we saw it a few days before the wrong was coming. And, and what do you do when you do that? You, you have to act and you have to act quickly um, because we knew one thing we knew is that, um, I mean, my best friends didn't have, they didn't have the luxury. Restaurateurs don't have the luxury of just saying, okay, they're not going to pay me. Um, I'm, I'm just going to sue them. I'll turn it over to lawyers and sue them because it can take years to come to a judgment. And after that, I mean, what's the use of dropping the lifeboats after everybody drowns? You know, we needed it. So, so one thing we needed, we knew we needed to do was we needed a device that was quick. And so we thought about what devices that there would be, what remedies. I mean, one thing, of course, was to speaking to journalists, getting the word out, speaking to politicians in Washington. Of course, we were able to speak to the president and others. But then what do you do? So we had part of our strategy, one which was a public relations to get out there that, hey, you need to look at your policies. They may apply. Two is to speak to the politicians that these guys are doing bad stuff. And then three, we had to get to the courts, but we needed a way to do it quickly. So one of the things that I did and we did with the Business Interruption Group, we filed the first action in the world on COVID-19. We, we did it right away. We didn't, we didn't, we didn't uh, waste any time. On March 16th, which was the Monday after things started to get shut down, we filed what was called a declaratory judgment action. It was kind of, it's a unique lawsuit. It's a unique legal device. We needed a device that wasn't, that wasn't going to take so long. Right. We need something that'd be quick. And what a, what a declaratory judgment you're able to do, you're able to go and say, I have a dispute with you, Mr. Insurance Company. Um, and, and you're being wrong. And, and here's a civil authority coverage language, shutting my restaurant down. And here's my policy. You can walk into court and ask the judge, what's the law in one hearing? You can say, hey, what's the law? So that's what we did. We filed one We filed one in New Orleans, which is pending. And we're going to go up and say, judge, what's the law here? And we're not just trying to make it for one restaurant, right. but for the nation to say, what's the law here? Because it seems very clear. Our policies say if the civil authority shuts us down for a dangerous condition, and this is clearly one, we have coverage. And, and here's what the civil authority says. It says shutting us down because of a dangerous condition. We also filed one uh, for Thomas Keller in Napa Valley. 
um, that's one where we filed it as well. And so the hope is, is very quickly we'll be in, at a hearing and be able to get this part of the law established. And what that'll do is that'll establish hopefully the law for the nation. Talk a little bit about in general, we, we were before the show talking a little bit how this politically charged time and with the racial issues that are fomenting and, and foaming up in the streets resulting in, in you know, public action, um, that, that across, across the board, we're seeing issues of power yeah. being utilized against the powerless in a way that makes everyone recognize just as human beings and without the need for the quote letter of the law to say, that's just wrong. Yeah. And there may not be a statute in Minneapolis that says it's against the law to put your knee on the net. But, but, but when you start arguing at that kind of level of detail, you're missing the point. Everyone who's a human being with a heart and a brain says that was wrong. When something's so fundamental that you can instantly see that imbalance of power being exploited against the powerless, um, I think everybody recognizes that that's where right and wrong can can pretty much be agreed on. I think a lot of people in our business were very surprised that anybody in any realm of the insurance business would say to anybody that that was the case, that it wasn't covered but not Thomas Keller. There's certain people who are so inscrutable in, and meticulous in everything that they do that it was impossible to imagine that there could be a better person to be the tip of your spear uh, yeah. than, than someone who is absolutely inscrutable. Uh, Thomas Keller is impeccable in everything that he does. Yeah. How did that how did that come to be? Because I think for all of us in the business, we were just so surprised that it was him. Who would yeah. do that to him? Yeah. Well, you know, um, Thomas and I, part, part of it is Th Thomas, um, Thomas and I have been friends for more than a decade, about a decade and a half. Um, and, and we met through doing um, charities uh, that we were, he was doing culinary charities and things that work that I was involved in. Um, and we became very good friends with Danielle and Sharon Bocuse in sort of the same way. Uh, we became very, very close. Um, and they would often, you know, the, during the BP oil spill, which had happened, you know, New Orleans had just been through the socking of, of Katrina. And then we just got up on our feet. And then, and then we have this BP oil spill hitting our shores. Thomas, Danielle, Jerome, they all came down to do these dinners. Um, they would do these charity bin dinners to raise money. Um, for other restaurateurs and other places and other things that were happening here. Um, so it was um, in this particular case, now the disaster is affecting the restaurant industry and Thomas himself. Um, you know, when we filed uh, Thomas's case, we, we talked about it because I had already filed it in New Orleans and we had the issue. And so the issue was, do we file another one? Do we need to file another one? And I, I in talking to Thomas, Thomas had not just a policy that doesn't exclude pandemics, because there's all these policies that apply because they don't exclude pandemics. There's a civil authority coverage and they don't exclude pandemics. Thomas actually had a very expensive policy that not only did it not exclude and did have civil authority coverage, but it actually had an inclusion for virus contamination. Okay. Mm -hmm. so there's a policy absolutely that applies 100%. You can't, not even a fancy lawyer can make this argument with a straight face. 
And so I said, you know, Thomas, and they weren't paying him. I said, Thomas, if they're not going to pay you, if they won't, if, if the industry will destroy you, if they will destroy you with this policy and they'll destroy, I mean, if there is a crown jewel of culinary excellence right. in America, it's the, it is the French laundry. Right. If it, 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 it legitimately put America on a global map in, in, in you know, edible 2.0. Right. And this is the most famous, uh, you know, this is this is the most lauded uh, American chef in history. And if they will destroy that, if the industry is so callous, even with a virus inclusion, that they will do that to Thomas Keller. The idea is they'll do it to anybody. They, they, yeah. if they will try to crush yeah. that. If, if the core of Thomas's brand is about attention to detail. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, Thomas is, you know, anyone that knows him knows how impeccable that he is. I mean, that's where he got where, where he is, even amongst the chefs. I've seen Danielle and Jerome and Thomas in the kitchen and Thomas is in charge. It, it's an amazing thing to, if, if anyone has seen Thomas Keller in the kitchen, you see a very specific general. And, and, this, and this, is a, this is a brilliant and generous teacher uh, he went so far as to become involved in making sure that the United States was fielding culinary teams to the equivalent of the Culinary Olympics, the Bochco's door. So, so, you know, he really takes a great deal of pride in sharing with the next generations, with the legacy of a hospitality industry. He's the kind of person who can really allow you to see that nice line of extension between Escoffier and today and the future. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, and without a dilution factor. And in fact, it might have an enhancement factor. But yeah, I've had some people say, oh, you know, what does that ivory tower chef have to do with me? Those of us that know Thomas or that know some, you know, Danielle or Jerome or these guys that have invested, as you say, in the Bacuse d'Or in, in training young chefs. Um, I've seen them for a decade and a half from a charitable standpoint, giving back to people. And it wasn't a surprise to me that Thomas stood out and said, you know, um, I, I need to lead, help lead the charge here. I, I need to, to do this. And, and, and he did, and he stepped out there and it hasn't been without criticism. I have to tell you, you know, we, we, we put this coalition together for the restaurant industry. Thomas filed his thing. And then the president calls you yeah. and, and look, not everybody likes the president. Um, and, and he's a polarizing figure, but he called because it was the restaurant industry and he called and he spoke to us. And then afterwards, Thomas, um, Thomas tweeted about it, that the president listened to the industry. He understands we are important. And people actually attacked him on social media and said, well, who are you and what do you know about? And of course, it was very hurtful. But, but we know that, look, when you're standing up to an industry, when you're standing up to power, and this is Jennifer, you mentioned this, uh, yeah. you know, when you stand up to power, um, uh, you you're going to get attacked, even if you're a hundred percent. Even if you're on the right of so many people, you know, with the insurance industry, it's not. You know, what we're seeing in the country of people standing up um, to what they feel like are injustices. They feel like they don't have the power. Now they're frustrated. Some do well in expressing themselves, and some make mistakes in expressing themselves and fighting back against that power. And right. how do you do that? Um, one of the things that people are starting to recognize, um, those that I see going through the insurance industry, insurance is an interesting thing. And, and, it's, a, and it's a microcosm for a lot of what we're talking about here. What do we do with, with insurance? Um, 
what we do is we take a little bit of our money, and we do this with all government, by the way. We take a little bit of our money every year, every paycheck, and it goes to fund something. And it goes to fund something that we need when things go wrong. You know, we need to call an ambulance. We need to call a police car. We're now, our business is effectively drowning. And we now need that life preserver or that fire extinguisher or that thing. And every year we take a little bit of money and we pool it and we pay for it for the protection. I mean, what does the industry say to us when things go wrong? The, lo the slogans are the same. We got you covered. Don't worry about it. We're on your side, right? You know, when it comes, times comes to it, we'll be a good neighbor. You know? Pay for what you need. Pay for what you need. You're, you're being good hands. You know, the, the slogans are the same, that when they need us, when we're weak, we've given you the money. And when we're weak, we need you to come to it. We need you to be that good neighbor. You promised to be. And what we find out what happens. Now, I see it. And for me, this is not a surprise. The insurance industry has walked away from the hospitality industry. That's so important to America. It's not a surprise to me. It upsets me. Um, they're now doing this to all of my friends. They're doing, But I see it over and over again. I see it in every disaster. What ends up happening is you give the money. And then when you need it, and when you're weak, particularly when you're weak, now they have all the money. And what is the insurance industry doing now? They're sitting on 822 billion dollars of our cash in reserves and they're not paying a penny they're not paying any of it and they're giving that money to lawyers and they're giving that money to lobbyists and they're misrepresenting what the policies say now these policies are complicated some of them are like 300 pages long and so the problem with power is you know of course it, it's that we're feeding this and then when we need it it is particularly disappointing to people when you need your government to protect you. You know, we're seeing this with frustrations and we need to fix some things with law enforcement too. But when we need that protection and it doesn't work, and then even worse, something bad has happened. And now the thing that we, we expect to rely on, there's also the injustice of the thing that we helped support now turning its back on us. And that, you know, that's a common feeling I think that is going around this year in a very raw way, um, you know, we're seeing um, seeing the protests. I think you know part of the protests are 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 part of a reaction to to all of this. But but with insurance, it's really you know our time right now in this country. It's very critical. I mean, this is an unparalleled transitional. This is a this is a seismic shift in everything. And I'll and just bring it back to the restaurant industry and the hospitality industry. James Beard, who gave you that award, and, 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 and which, which they, they did a study that says in absence of the business interruption coverage covering us, four out of five restaurants will go bankrupt. Right. Four out of five. Four out of five of an industry that employs 15.6 million people. Four out of five of an industry that is a one trillion dollars to our economy every year. I mean, I don't think we can we can afford to let this happen, um, and which is why which is why this is a very critical time for the courts. It's a critical time for all of us. John, um, as our guest today, and as representative of the business interruption uh, group, and we look at this moment in time. 
I want to use this as a teachable moment to help explain the relationship between the government, the insurance industry, and the restaurants that are what make up our industry and the hotels. If somebody commits a crime, the mechanism exists where they get arrested, they get a trial, and if they did something really bad and the system works the way we hope it does, that person will go to jail. And that the incentive to, to um, not making a crime exists because you know if you do something bad, you will go to jail. And, and for most people, that's enough to, to keep them from doing really bad things. And most of us won't go to jail, thank goodness. What mechanism exists in the government with the charters for you know, banks and institutions, but in particular to insurance companies that would allow the government to have the equivalent of some kind of incentive, some power, some leverage to get the insurance industry to do what we'll only describe now as the right thing. It's, a, it's Jennifer, it's, it's the heart of the solution, right? If there's not a penalty for doing bad, if you can profit, if you can take people's emergency money and then when they need it, use it against them and keep it. Um, we have a broken system, and and what we're finding, and I, I, there's many documentaries that have been done on some of the work that I've done in the past about the fact that, and they all they all often will call it in different chapters the disaster after the disaster, right. because because you know in in Katrina, everybody had coverage, everybody had property coverage. They, they they had coverage to build back. I mean, almost all properties had mortgages on them. Banks require you to have this kind of stuff. And, and the problem what we're seeing in America is disaster. Here's what happens. After a disaster, the insurance industry does the same thing every time. It, for me, it's like that movie, The Groundhog Day. You ever see the movie with a guy? I see the same day over and over again. The first thing they do is they just lie. They just lie. <laughs> we don't, we don't cover, we're not covering it. We don't cover it. Fine print, don't cover it. And then they take their lobbyists with the money that we paid them, and then they run to Washington. They say, oh, yeah, yeah, we don't cover it, but let's make a pot of money. Let's put a pot of money over here, a federal bailout money. And the politicians run out, okay, let's put a bailout money together with our taxpayer money. And we put that pot of money together, and it's always a mess. Why? because it's hastily put together, it's not measured properly like insurance is for what you need. And so this happens over and over again. But what the insurance industry realizes is when they do this, there's a statistic that's almost constant after every disaster. And the people that push back when, they, when the insurance industry says no, the people that push back, 1%. Wow. 1% statistically of people challenge what the insurance industry says they owe them. Now, they can't. They're using our, their, our money and they're hiring the adjusters and the claims managers, which work for them, So, right. which tell them how much that they owe to us. And of course, they don't work for us. They work for them. They have a conflict of interest. Nobody is on our side deciding how much that we're owed to enforce these laws. And so only 1% sue, so they get away with it. Now, your question, Jennifer, is a good one is, how can we use the government to start enforcing this? Because this system 
is broken. It's putting hands in the money. It's putting our money that we, we're not asking for charity. None of the restaurants that we're speaking to are asking for more bailout money. They're asking to get the coverage that they paid for. There are some policies that have exclusions for pandemics, but there's many that do not. And they're not paying those, which is the key. So what do you, what can you do now in most state laws, most states, they have a law that says that if you give all of the evidence to your insurance carrier and they don't pay you, then after 30 to 60 days, depending on your state law, they can owe you penalties and attorney's fees for not paying you. But most people don't know this law exists and they don't know how, how to, 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 to operate, to, to get it to, to kick in. The way it gets kicked in, just for those watching, you got to give all the evidence of your loss. That's when the deadline starts. You give all of your evidence to loss to your carrier. You, you can self-adjust your loss. So that's what we do for our clients in getting that done. But only, because only 1% sue, this becomes a problem. Now, what we've been doing in the business interruption group is not taking it lying down and, not, and saying to ourselves, look, three to five years, well, that's going to pay a lot of defense lawyers, but it's, it's going to be over the ashes of our business. So we're speaking to attorney generals. Who, who, who have jurisdiction over these insurance companies. We're speaking to insurance commissioners. They have jurisdiction over these. And we're saying to them, what these insurance companies are doing are wrong, and you can pull their license. So we're actually going to government. That's why we went to the president. Um, we're also, they're in the halls of government, and so are we now. One of the things, most of us who know and, and, and respect and adore Thomas Keller uh, will point out that that the way he does things is the right way, which is how he can teach young chefs the right way to do things to win gold medals in the culinary Olympics. You can't go and teach somebody something other than the right way to do things. And you can't teach the right way to do things in any realm of life unless you really are somebody who is passionately and and philosophically committed to doing the right things. So this is somebody, Thomas Keller, that we're talking about here. People that know and respect him also know that he had an unfortunate fire not long ago. And that was a business interruption. Uh, and they got very creative about how to do what they had to do. Would you talk a little bit, as much as you're able to, uh, how did that experience inform Thomas Keller about what can only be described as the David and Goliath nature of the relationship between an insurance company and the insured. Yeah. Well, what you, what you find out very quickly is it, it doesn't matter who you are. Um, you could be Thomas Keller at the top of your, uh, I mean, at the, at the, at the mountaintop of respect and do everything right. The problem is that, in the, when, you, when you make an insurance claim, um, the people that are working, what you find out very quickly is the people, part of your policy premium, it went to hire people who are now adverse to you. And what you realize that it doesn't matter who you are, that if the person, that person is deciding its own liability to you. And, and that becomes an automatic, uh-oh, when you realize that that's how it works, that they're, they've been advertising to me that they'll be like a good neighbor, that they're on my side, but they're, they're clearly not on my side. They're actually on the conflict on the opposite side. 
and so that is a realization that happens um and it's happening to everybody but it big and small and so the larger your claim the larger your company um the more they have to pay high priced lawyers and adjusters um to work against you and the more they will create an army to work against you so the the playing field is not even right. um and and you realize that that's the case that you're actually making a claim it's like somebody that rear ends you in the car and hurts your hurts your your child um and the person to go out and say don't worry about it i'll determine if your kid is hurt or not you'd be like uh-uh you know or or i'll fix your car i'll tell you how much it costs no you're the one that owes me right and, and you realize and so thomas and others you know that those that have gone through if you live in new orleans if you've been through a disaster if you've been through the wildfires in california and you've seen what these insurance companies are doing you understand that they they are your adversary at the moment you make a claim and so you can't trust you got to read the policy yourself can you i ask a question we're looking at wholesale paradigm relationship shifting in every aspect of our culture and economy right now. Could one of the profound benefits, mm -hmm. new realities to grow from this, could a goal of business interruption group, could a dream we could all dream right now be that the insurance industry goes from being adversarial to collaborative so that rather than thinking we have a business partner in our insurance partners that instantly becomes an adversary that that we we embed ourselves in a in a very crucial relationship with someone who is intrinsically in a chrysalis of adversary but doesn't emerge as that adversary until after something happens. Yeah, I, imagine I, a new reality. I, I do, I do, and, and I have to tell you though, prior to this, I I didn't, and, and the reason is is because I, I've been fighting these battles over and over again, and I don't, <laughs> you know, um, I've been very, you know, I've been very successful myself. You know, I was able to buy a fleet of Ferraris and a jet. Okay, over all the disasters that have happened. And I've looked around at myself and my surroundings and said, what have I actually done? What have I accomplished in all of these battles? These Because I keep, I keep catching them doing bad things. And I, in Superstorm Sandy, for example, um, um, we actually caught the insurance companies committing insurance fraud. Like they were literally taking documents and they were taking uh, how much somebody were to pay and they were forging the documents. Okay. They were taking engineering documents from engineers, taking, keeping their signature and their seal on it and reversing the conclusions in home offices. To Did that surprise you? No, actually I had seen it happen in Katrina. Actually I saw, and it didn't surprise me because it was actually in Superstorm Sandy was actually the same people forging documents, not just the same companies, the same people that were forging documents all the way back in Katrina that I've been chasing. And I went into court and I said, judge, they're committing insurance fraud. And the judges look at you and they go, yeah, yeah, okay. You say this, they say that, ah. And we got there and actually in Superstorm Sandy, I ended up getting so frustrated with the civil court system. 
I went to the criminal courts. I went to the attorney general, Eric Schneiderman. And I said, this enough is enough. All that's happening is lawyers are making money. And these people are, I had firemen. I had, I had firemen that went into the buildings into 9-11 that were, lo- that were crying with me on the phone because they were renting a house and they were going to lose the mortgage on their destroyed house. I had full coverage on it and crying with me, grown men on the phone. I can't take it. We're, we're going to lose our family home. These people were fully insured from insurance fraud. So I finally went and, and actually Eric Schneiderman arrested a major executive on TV. It got on 60 Minutes and Frontline. And we brought the guy out in handcuffs in the middle of the case on TV. And I thought to myself, we, and hundreds of millions of dollars went back to people. And I thought, finally, I will have changed things. Why? Because it was a documentary and there was a, it was on CNN and, we had, and we, had, we had fraud hearings in the House and Senate. Finally, I did something in my career that I can be proud of, other than the individuals I've helped, but I can change a system that's broken. And you know what? Didn't help. Didn't help at all. And so when COVID-19 happened and I saw these reports that they were basically going to misrepresent government orders, was I surprised? No. But I had in any serious disaster where it's it changes, there are some things that are so widespread, so significant that happened in our culture that it changes history. Mm-hmm. And the difference here, which is different than any other case, in every other case, the insurance industry was doing this to a minority of people, to, to one state in you know, my town in New Orleans or Mississippi or in Superstorm Sandy. It was a few states, a few people on the beach. And the insurance industry was lying to everybody about what these people's policies say. And so it was the, the whole game was you lie to the majority to oppress the minority. Okay. Sound familiar? Mm-hmm. And, and, and uh, yeah. yeah. And so, but this is different. And I see a sea of change here because now it's every business in America. Everyone doesn't matter if you are Republican or you're a Democrat, doesn't matter if you're a big business or a small business, doesn't matter if you have a food truck or you're Thomas Keller. Okay. They're doing it to everybody. And they're doing it across the board. And now I'm seeing big companies, big, huge organizations that are going and saying, wait a second, they're taking advantage of me. They're trying to victimize me. And these are, I, I represent companies that are, or, you know, some very small people, and then some of the companies that are $100 billion. And they're looking at them going, they're, they're taking advantage of me. So one difference that I'm seeing and you know, once the, the they have this saying, you know, where where you know, sunshine is the best disinfectant, right? You can shine it on everything all at once. People kind of wake up and they go, "Huh, you know what? All this time they've been taking advantage, and we need to change the system." And so I'm I'm a bit helpful, and you know, in a strange way, these riots and all this stuff, and I'm seeing people of all kinds of ethnicities. Finally, even very conservatives, you know, Roger Goodell, when you when you have him get up there and say, hey, maybe Kaepernick was maybe kind of had a point. You're when you see NASCAR that it's saying, hmm, maybe we need to rethink some things. You're starting to see where there's kind of a light bulb that's going off in lots of different places. And that needs to happen for there to be change. 
Do you think it's possible for the insurance industry to be collaborative and not adversarial? Do you think that there is something fundamental about the transactional nature of that business that could allow that to happen? Or do we have to start from scratch? No, I, I think, look, it's not possible. It's not that they say, you know something, I told you I'm on your side, Jennifer, so so I will be next time. Or, or Because the very nature of it is, and this is the illusion, it, there's the illusion that they're perpetrating that they can be on your side. They can't. They're on one side. And look, I don't begrudge defense lawyers that have an honest disagreement or insurance companies because I'm on one side. What am I trying to do? I'm trying to maximize the benefits. They're on the opposite financial interest. What are they doing? They're the financial to minimize the benefits. We are fundamentally in different places, but they can't be judge anymore. They can't judge how much they owe us. They can't keep all of our money and there be no penalty if they don't because they're the ones with the money. And, and right now in 99% of the cases, they're the ones that have that are assessing their own liability. And if I crash your car, I can't be the judge how much I owe you. But that's what happens in insurance. And so there has to be a fundamental rethinking of, of all of these ads that have been gaslighting us that why is it why are they always saying I'm on your side like a good neighbor, <laughs> you're in good hands because they want you to put your guard down and say, I can be fair. No, you can't. Be, you, have a, you have a financial conflict of interest in being fair. I can't be fair. I can't say, insurance company, I'm going to alone decide how much you pay me. That wouldn't be fair. You have to have a balance. The problem that we have in our country is we give all of the money to the person deciding how much they owe us. And it has to come out of their pocket. That has to change. That there has to be more. And there are penalties for that. We're just not judges and lawyers are not being good enough, I think, about going to the politicians, about going to the executive branch. It's all for the executive branch here. Because, Jennifer, you said this, so you're right, is that it can be criminal. We've seen it can be, they can commit insurance fraud. You know, I speak to attorney generals now. Um, all across the country. And I say to them, I'm concerned about insurance companies committing insurance fraud. And I've had attorney generals go, how can an insurance company commit insurance fraud? I'm like, they're the one deciding how much they owe? Oh, we're so gaslighted. You right. know, all of, you know, capitalism is a wonderful thing, right? It, it, it It's created an unbelievable surge in, in humanity and and in in, um, in 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 economic growth and other things, but all, the people with all the money, you know, you you got to have some checks and balances here, okay? Because if you give them all the money to decide how much they owe us, there's a fundamental problem. Uh, so how can we help, John? How can how can Food and Beverage Magazine and our 12 million readers a month and all of our assets and Jennifer? How can we get involved and help you guys? Well, one thing you could do is you had you had up on your screen the Business Interruption Group website. So we are big. Um, business Interruption Group, so it's W-E, letter R, B-I-G dot org. It's a nonprofit. Um, it was started by the hospitality, hotel and hospitality industry, the, the restaurant hospitality industry. It was started in the aftermath of this. You can go on the website and sign our petition. 
What does the petition say? First off, we're not asking for any money. It's not a, it, 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 is, it is purely a petition. Um, and what we're petitioning is for the insurance companies to do the right thing. That, that, that if their policy does not have a pandemic exclusion, they need to pay it to that business to stop that person from going on the unemployment line, right? They need to pay those. And then what the what the we are the the business interruption group is also doing is we're promoting a, actually an act in Congress, a bill. There are some policies that have exclusions. There are some policies that have exclusions for the pandemic. Some policies that are clearly have exclusions. Some that don't. Some like Tavis have inclusions. And there's some that have the word virus in there. And 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 many of who are people who are watching, if they have a business interruption policy they may have some type of exclusion where the word virus is in there. And there's a debate as to where it will, whether it excludes the civil authority coverage or not. Here's what we are big is doing. We're saying, please pay the ones you owe. And if there's ones that we have a fight about it, we're gonna introduce a bill where the insurance company can voluntarily opt into the program. They can pay the restaurant its civil authority, its civil authority coverage and then seek reimbursement for the government for that. Very elegant, simple solution, which will keep people on off unemployment lines. It'll keep our restaurants and our hospitality working, in, in going into the economy. And if they just pay the business interruption policies, this will work. This will be a way that will keep our businesses out there. So what your what your listeners and, and your viewers can do, go on the website, fill it out um, to say, because the, re- the industry is watching this page. Right. The president was watching the page people in power are watching what the hospitality industry can do when it gets together. You are 15.6 million people strong. And you're a community that we're all understanding now is very important to all of our lives, uh, to every sector of our economy. Your voice is a strong one. It's a big one. And if you speak with a common voice, you can make big changes. And so that's what the business interruption group's about. It's also the biggest sector of our economy that doesn't have its own dedicated nightly feature on the nightly news. Yeah. I mean, you are the largest private sector employer in America. Now, most people don't, they don't realize it. They know we take for granted that, that, that restaurants and hospitality are a fabric of our life in every part of our economy. I mean, I represent a lot of people who are not in the restaurant hospitality business that are going without a restaurant, without the restaurants, I can't operate. I, I can't have a, a concert venue if I don't have food, right. and beverage. They're realizing, everybody is realizing that they're tied to, to you. And the fact that in the middle of, of, a, of, of a pandemic, of a, of a war, that, that a president would get on the phone with a new organization in two weeks, two weeks in the middle of all that stuff, it demonstrates that if you're speaking with a common voice about things that you need in your industry, um, that the change can really happen. You know, I know, which a lot of people don't know, about how labor intensive the business is of, of restaurants. But I also know how much people are drawn to it and how much it means to, to people. Um, it's not for money, John. They're not doing it for the love of money. That's for sure. No. They're not. I mean, if you looked at at some of uh, at these at, at 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 the cost. I mean, you know that the cost of running a restaurant it is 
it's hugely, it is intensive. But if you speak to chefs, it, it doesn't matter if it's Thomas Keller or the guy that's got his, that it's got, a, that it's got his food truck that loves it. Right. People who are in the business, they, they want to nurture. Yeah. You know, being, being a part of a, cooking food for somebody, somebody uh, for someone to come over to your home and for you to prepare a meal for them. It's very, it, it, it gets to really the essence of what we are as in humanity. It's, it's, a, it's a sharing. It's so passion. civilized, John. We're so yeah. civilized, isn't it? Well, it's yeah. a love language, but it's more than that. It's really one of the embedded cornerstones of any culture. Yep. You know, this, I happen to be in Tucson, Arizona right now, and we were designated a UNESCO city of gastronomy. And that was largely because there has been cultivation of food for 4,000 years here in this region. And you can't cultivate food, and I would say this over and over again, you can't cultivate food without cultivating culture and medicine and everything else that goes along with, with actually creating a true community. Yeah, it's also the diversity. You know, if you think about it, we talk about diversity, diversity, how it's good, it was ever. I mean, can you imagine only eating the same food every day? I mean, the fact that we have Indian food and Italian food and Japanese food and Chinese food and uh, and French food and I mean the fact that we have all of this stuff and by and large people people love that and that's that's part of the celebration of what we need to do and 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 you know there's a there's a you know your industry I mean this is an interesting time you know it is uh, it's a critical time uh, in our history I mean not just I mean I'm feeling the weight of what I'm doing not just with my friends' businesses, but with really, if, if we were to fail, um, the largest private sector in America here, if we're able to fail this legal battle, um, could could fail. Um, now there'll be others that come up in those ashes, but it is just we can't let it happen, and and we have to come together. and 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 there's a it's it's much needed for your industry to get back on on a lot of levels. As a lawyer. As a, as a veteran litigator, as an industry watchdog, you have seen both the best and the worst the insurance industry has. Has this experience with Business Interruption Group, with this moment in time that is landmark and unique, given what's going on in particular with the hospitality industry, have you seen and experience something that has made you more hopeful than you've ever been in your career at a time when one could argue you should be the most cynical? Um, I, I think, I think Jennifer, the, the idea, what makes me hopeful is that if I've seen how people can galvanize around the truth, you know, if, if you expose something that's true, it's true across cultures. It's true across people. Doesn't matter where they are. People respond to the truth. One of the problems that we have in our society is that we miss. A lot of people don't have the same facts. Okay, they don't have the same experience. They don't have the same thing. But but when you meet a person and and you talk to them and you listen to them and you have, and you know their situation, a lot of people will agree on things uh, when they have the same experience. The one thing I'm hopeful is uh, at this time is that it's causing, although we're all apart, um, people are finding a lot of common ground now in their in common experiences. 
that they haven't had before. As far as the insurance industry is concerned, um, it is awful that this has happened to an industry that I'm so close to that's so important to America. I mean, that's that's because and and, it, and there's the weight of it, but there's also something. Um, there's a I mean, I, I speak with the chefs and I speak with Thomas all the time and 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 with the guys and we say, you know, what we're doing here. What we're doing here is really important. It's really important for the industry, but it's every business in America. I mean, if the insurance companies walk, you know, from from their obligations here um, on the policies that they owe, if, if they're allowed to lie about what the policies say and nobody reads them, um, we can't let that happen. And and so the so your industry, I, I do see um, a movement, and because it's happened to so many people more people have the truth. And if more people have the truth and they get together, they can make change. Fantastic. This is not the last word on this topic because we are just at the start of what could be an epic battle, a fight, but no transformation, no growth comes easy. Mm. And for those of us who grow, grow up, are trained, we have mentors, we have teachers in the hospitality industry. We were trained by a chef who was trained by a chef who was trained by a Scofier. You know, there, there are these people who nurture us in our growth and development along the way. Uh, we're very fortunate in our industry to have you join us uh, to become part of this evolution, this dynamic evolution. I think this is going to change our business and every business. We're not going to say that this is just going to change insurance. It's not going to just change any one category, but it, it absolutely positively is going to be an empowering, dynamic period of change for the hospitality industry. Yeah, and, I couldn't agree more. And I couldn't agree more. Um, in that, we consider you one of ours now, so you got to understand uh it's now our industry. Well, I felt I felt a, a long part of you for a, for a while. If you live in New Orleans and you don't feel part of the restaurant hospitality industry, they they kick you right out of this place. You know, you have to find that ingrained in your culture. But you know, I think um, I think that there is um, this is a moment of galvanizing, understanding. America understands how important right. that this industry is now more than they ever probably ever had. I mean, we saw it in New Orleans where things were shut down, but now America and around the globe are shedding a spotlight on the restaurant hospitality industry of how important it is. And if the industry stays together, if you do things like this, where you are trying to get people together, um, there's an absolute unbelievable force politically uh, from a, from, from, from from a public relations standpoint, from all of these things, um, you're gonna you're, you're understanding just 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 for the public of understanding. I want to I want to start supporting my local restaurant tour. Um, why this is so important to me? You're seeing people now that are going back to restaurants for the first time, and you're seeing. I mean, you're starting to see people just excited to go to a restaurant again because they miss it. They're not taking what you all do for a living for granted anymore. And, and if we stay together, there's, there's big things that can be done without any pun. 
pun intended. And, and I want to. <laughs> and we are big. Dot org. They are big. Um, I want to I want to talk a little bit about New Orleans, a city that I love dearly, where the culture is one that is so richly um, interconnected. I have to go back to Katrina, and I'm going to use this as an example of right and wrong. You didn't need to know anything about New Orleans. You didn't need to know anything about the history of the civil rights movement. You didn't need to know anything uh, about about insurance to know that there was something just plain wrong about Mrs. Leah Chase living and working out of a FEMA trailer for as long as she did. Yeah. You know, there are just some examples of things that happen in life that are just so clarion call clear mm -hmm. that you have to say, this is one of those moments where we don't have to be in dispute about whether this is right or wrong. He said, she said. Do you think that that one of the things that can come from this moment in time is that we will recalibrate our 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 ethical compass, our moral compass back to a common ground of right and wrong? You know, you know I'm hopeful that that look there's always going to be you know if, if you want if you want to know the truth of something or how things work or even how to change them. Uh, there's an old saying that you have to follow the money, yeah. okay? Because, because money changes things. You're starting to see a movement right now, civil rights stake for big corporations. Because why? Their understanding now to do differently will hurt them financially. Um, we have to recalibrate how we do insurance and how we look at insurance, the role of insurance that it is a critical, necessary part of our society, of our entire economy. It has to work properly. It has to, you know, the, the lifeboats have to be dropped when the ship is sinking. And if you don't do that, then there are incredible, there's, there's an incredible loss and injustice that happens. And we saw that in New Orleans. We saw that in Superstorm Sandy. We're seeing the insurers abandon places and that allowing the politicians to run out and have these slush funds that are put together. And the slush funds never work properly. In the BP oil spill, they're just paying out to the restaurants now. Just yeah. now, they're starting to pay out. But if, if, insurance, around. But if insurance works properly, um, it, 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 it will. You know, there's the, the foundation of our, of our country. Um, Benjamin Franklin actually, many people know this, that, that brought the concept of insurance to colonial America when we first started because he understood we needed this because we were building wooden houses next to each other. And with one burned, if my neighbor's house burned, my house would burn. And, and it was an the connectedness of us. It wasn't just an analogy. It's part right. of our economy that we're starting to see now. If the restaurant industry fails, everything else is having a ramish effect to it. If we don't shore up, if we don't have the breaker switch for this. And what we're also recognizing is that we're always told that insurance are the good guys, but sometimes they're not the good guys. And, and, and we have to start having mechanisms to where if the insurance companies don't do the right thing, that there's more penalties or that we're, 
we're able to fix and strengthen our laws and the things that we're doing now. Um, but this just takes, I, I think now that this is happening to everybody and it's happening to every company in every sector of the entire economy. Every company in every sector of the economy is being turned down here, wrongfully in many cases. And so you're having lots of people in lots of different parts of the economy that can make change that are starting saying, something is broken here and we need to fix it. But it, it, you have to have financial incentives to make it work. We are so grateful that you've stayed here with us for this generous amount of time. Um, I, a couple last questions. Well, let me just say, could you send that bill to Jennifer, please, for staying here for so long? What's that? No, 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 no bill here. <laughs> <laughs> I just wanted to go to Jen. That's all. Um, I want to, I want to ask you, are we redefining right and wrong in this experience in this moment in time? I think what we're realizing in a way, I think we're, we're finding out how to make a difference to go from wrong to right. Yeah. That's what I would say. How, how do we get there? You know, a lot of people know things are broken, but not, not in a way to fix them. We know we're having problems, but how do we fix them? And, and there's a, there's a saying that, 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 that is appropriate for restaurateurs. And that is that, you know, if, if you're not in, if, if you're not at the table, you're on the menu. Yeah. And that is true. We have to participate in our process. Um, we've got to participate. If the restaurant industry starts participating together, if you are at the table, you will no longer be on the menu. And that is true for take a wrong that we've got that we're facing in our society right now. We got to be at the table. We have to participate. We have to get our friends and our neighbors and our colleagues in the industry to participate. One of the things that we knew in the beginning that the restaurants are going to get shut down first, that this is the largest part of the economy, that this is going to have ripple effects. What did we do? We went to the industry and we said, we have to galvanize. We have to start an organization first and we have to get a common voice for a common thing. And we do that and we can make, and we can make change. Well, let's make that table bigger, huh, Jen? I agree. You know, one of the things we ask our guests when they visit with us, um, we like to share a toast because so many people in the industry have a philosophy of hospitality. And it's certainly the case with all my friends from New Orleans. And, and I don't know, have we ever had you to Tales of the Cocktail? No, no, I have not. Well, you never had me either. You never asked me that question. Obviously, John has some kind of like magic spell on you. We have we make whole festivals around uh, around these kinds of fun things. So you can. Yeah. Well, <laughs> I'm a, I, I'm involved in Tales of the Cocktail from the very very beginning of this, and and I and I and I can't believe I've been to New Orleans every July, and and we've not crossed paths until now. But that just shows we're meant to meet when we're meant to meet. Um, but what we oftentimes will ask people in their in their sense of, of hospitality, if you have a house toast, and when you win a big case. How do you celebrate, and and what do you what do you say? What do you do? Um, I, I'm I'm usually you know when when I have um, when I when we win a big case or when we do it, it's um, it's usually unfortunately I'm usually your lawyer when everything is on the line. Yeah. Unfortunately, when it's when it's everything, it's like all uh, or nothing. It's an all or nothing when when everything is on the line when it's your whole when it's your home or your whole business or other things and so it's a difficult thing. 
often I find I find relief, you know, because there's a lot of there's a lot of pressure. And I think, um, you know, a lot of times at the at the end of a big battle and the things were things that we that we win. It's like, uh, you know, now we can relax and now we can have spend time with friends. The things that I like to do the most, the things that I do after every after every big win, um, I go to a restaurant with friends. You know, it's funny. That's what we, what's what a lot of us do, right? We go and we get together and we have a we get our friends and our closest family together and and we look back on on what we done what we've done or what we got away with or uh, <laughs> what we got through. And I think um, I, I I call the chefs all the time. And I said, listen, one thing we're going to promise, because they're calling and speaking all the time, is one thing we're all going to promise to do. And we said this to Thomas and Wolfgang and Danielle and Jerome. I said, we're all going to get together. And if we can save it through all of this, we're going to cook the most amazing meal. We're going to sit down and everybody's going to take a course. And we're going to do that. So that's one of the things I'm looking forward well, to. Well, hopefully, Jennifer, we'll have a seat at that table. Yes, yes. <laughs> Sounds good. <laughs> I love that idea. Yeah. Listen, uh, I have to thank you for what you're doing uh, for so many people in our industry. Um, we've never had this kind of galvanizing leadership uh, to get through a crisis before. And it took a crisis to get us there. In the Buddhist tradition, they say that your poison is, in fact, your medicine, right? Mm -hmm. uh, and we wouldn't have had the benefit of this had we not had this crisis to begin with. Uh, but having a steady hand and a sharp mind and a really good heart at the helm is going to make a lot of difference. And with your compadre, Thomas Keller, uh, and the crew that you've assembled uh, to take us through this, um, I have, for the first time, really got hope for this industry. Hope I didn't have when the government announced bailouts and PPP and all the rest of it. But I, but I think that it's not the dollars that will make the difference. It will be the surviving. I think you're that right. To be the, the difference maker in this. And that everyone in whatever the landscape of regulations and stipulations and, and rules and considerations have to be, at the end of the day, we're still going to be a group of people who, through the language of love of food and conviviality, are going to be welcoming people back in whatever form we do, cooking food for people that need people to cook food for them and making public events happen because life really has to be experienced en famille. And uh, I well, want to thank you, thank you for yes. coming. Well, I thank you because this is the legacy. I think you're right. Is the legacy of what could happen here, the industry understanding how important it is to everyone else, for everyone to understand how important the industry is to everybody and to stay together and to galvanize. And then if we are successful, we've, we've talked about it with the chefs. I said, guys, you, you have to continue staying out there with the industry because look at what good you can do. Right. Look at how much, look at how much your voice, I don't know if you saw, but we got couple weeks ago we got Times Square shut down. Yep. Let's talk and, and actually I, I have that on you know, I have that on the list that we wanted to talk to you about. There was there was a there was a moment um and, and I felt like we'd kept you too long already, but no, it, since you brought it up, let's talk about it. 
Yeah, I mean, I mean, just it's just an example of just the power it is. It and it is not. It is not me, and it's not just Thomas. It's not Danielle. Um, because if they didn't represent fifteen point six million people, the president wouldn't have called us right away, right? But what exactly did. happened in Times Square two weeks in ago? Times Square, you know, but these are just examples. You know, the the president's another thing. In Times Square, what we did is we said, look, you know, we we want. Um, Think about how important hospitality, the restaurant industry is. And we were thinking about the, what is the epicenter of that? I mean, the epicenter of what we're doing in that. And we thought, you know what, Times Square, I mean, think of Times Square. It is, it, it is the center in the United States of, in a symbolic way of hospitality and restaurants and, and Broadway and the entertainments and the arts and the things they coalesce. I mean, Times Square is evocative of, of every main street town hall um, in America. And it, uh, if you look at the just the economic impact of that, it's not just symbolic. It's over $100 billion a year go through Times Square every year. It's amazing. Um, but we thought, you know, what a demonstration would it be if we could get our, because we, and there are certain times you need, need to do things symbolically. You need to put out messages together and so what we were able to do is we reached out, the, the chefs and the hospitality industry reached out, the business interruption group, to all the big billboards on Times Square, some of them that are huge, 20,000 square foot uh, billboards. And, they, um, and, and we asked them, we said, we want you to shut them black. We want you to turn them off, totally dark, in a symbolic gesture of the insurance industry is shutting our lights out, right? And then we want to go up with a message of hope. And we 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 did a we did a two minute film that we did. All the billboards two weeks ago went totally dark, and then they went up with a film that you can see on the Business Interruption Group website. Uh, and it started with people in the industry and a chef and 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 a waiter and uh, and people in the industry talking about how important the industry is and how much we need the insurance companies to do the right thing. But this is an example. I mean, Timeshare had never been shut down before for a private event ever in history. Um, and, and to think about what your industry can do when it comes together, the powerful message that it, that it, that it, that it can, that it can have if, if you, if you galvanize and you have that seat at the table. And before we let you go for restaurateurs and operators, large and small, but let's talk about the small guys for the moment. And let's just talk about everybody for the moment, because not everybody's in Times Square. Not everybody has a dozen James Beard nominations and awards. Not everybody's Thomas Keller. For this, for the little guy, in this David and Goliath battle, what can you coach everybody that's in any kind of fight through this experience with the COVID and the shutdown and everything? What, as a champion fighter, can you share with all of us about how to not give up in what might seem like a very give upable moment. Well, the first thing is not to give up, right? Um, is not to give up. But the, the first thing people need to do that if they have one of these insurance policies, um, you know, that's the. I would say that there's two groups of people you're speaking to, right? Those that have these policies, and there's some that do not. Um, to those that do have it, I, I would say you need to read it, or you have to have somebody read it. You can have somebody without cost. You can have lawyers such as myself. You can actually send them your policy. And many lawyers will look at it without cost to you and tell them that if you have these exclusions or if there's other things. 
Um, I've been giving seminars to hundreds, uh, more than a thousand lawyers um, in the last few weeks about what they need to be looking at for their clients. John, do you have a network of lawyers that if somebody reached out to the business interruption group on your website, wearebig.org, that you could put little guys from anywhere in the country together with lawyers that could help them with something like this? Um, yeah, they can reach out and they can ask for help. And there are other lawyers um, on the business interruption group. I obviously don't represent everybody in the business interruption group, but there are lawyers that are there that we can get them to, to have them look at it. And many of those, just about everyone will do it at pro bono to see if there is, if there's some help. And we're also coaching the lawyers about what, 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 what policies can work and what policies can't work. To, to those that don't have business interruption coverage, I would say this. Um, I lived through Katrina. You know, I lived through a city which was shut down as long as we're being shut down for COVID. And I've seen the utter destruction of it. Um, to those not to give up your dreams, uh, really, to do this, because afterwards, you know, we lost all of our people. We lost all of uh, it, it. To those restaurants, they really understood how important that back staff is, you know, those those people that 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 do the dishes and that do the things and that bust the tables, how important those people mm -hmm. are to the process. They really understand how important everybody is in the process. But restaurants came back and they came back after Katrina with a vengeance. You know, if you've seen the amount of there was more culinary awards that came out in the aftermath of, of Katrina because in the aftermath, what happens? I mean you're your will, those that really have the will and the love and the passion to do this, they come forward and they shine. Um, and and there are people that shine, not in mediocrity, but in but in times of uh, that there are extraordinary times. And, and well, they're will, fighters, John. They're fighters, right? They'll fight. They'll yeah. fight their way. They'll fight, fight, fight. And a lot of these successful guys have had to fight in the past. And you don't see it, but we know that. Yeah. I mean, how many people have started their restaurant and it was the first one was successful. No, they tried and they tried. But that entrepreneurism, I mean, something I love about America, the, the, the entrepreneurism of the person that's willing. I mean, champions are the people. People that win are not the people that generally get lucky. They're the people that keep getting up off of the canvas and learning from right. their mistakes and, and, and getting better and, and learning more about stuff. So I would say the first thing is you know, to, for people to continue to learn and to reach out. Um, and to reach out for help. I mean, there are there are people here. I mean, there are there are companies right now that just gave up and said, "Well, my broker said I don't have any coverage." Right. <laughs> you know. So hopefully, we'll, we'll maybe we'll get John back here. What do you think, Jen? John Hotailing, thank you so much for bringing the business interruption group to life, for having such an uh, impactful and pivotal role in helping to sustain this industry when quite literally a lot of us believed this could be the end of an era and jen you can keep this uh editorial going in the magazine if you want if this is something that you like and you want to pursue yeah, there will be updates you know we'll be able to provide you updates because things are happening daily um we're going to be introducing the business interruption group it's bill that will hopefully help subsidize everybody everybody that has business interruption coverage even if you have an exclusion if we get this passed, your policy will pay. So this is a really important yeah. bill. And we have the audience, Sean. We got the people behind us, right? We know and, we do. And uh, let's get everyone in, on the same page. Yeah, and once the bill drops, we'll need your support and other restaurants to reach out 
to their local congressman yeah. and their senator and say, this will help me. You know, yeah. this is important and this will help me. Dude, that's what we'll do. Thank and you that, so much. Oh, go ahead. Do you have something to say, Jen? And I just, I have to say, I think this is one of the most hopeful things in anything that happens in life. When something appears lost, the thing that will grow from that, the phoenix from the ashes is one of the most famous visual representations of hopefulness there can be. And and she knows this, John, because she has lost her mind so many times. And the phoenix that has risen from those ashes that next morning, beautiful, beautiful. But I think you've really given us something powerful to be yeah. really hopeful about. And not Pollyanna hopeful, but yeah, uh, there's a reason why I should start working on my plans about what comes next. Yeah. Because there may be something there. Because we all know that if we've cleared room for more, more will come to us. Absolutely. I believe. All right. Go eat some good food tonight, John, down there in New Orleans. Oh, wait a second. Where, I meant to ask goodbye, you. Goodbye, Jennifer. Say goodbye. Stop go? Leave where him alone. Leave him alone, Jen. We're done. Sorry? What's your favorite place in New Orleans? Oh, no. You're going to get me in trouble. If you, with all of my restaurant tour friends, if I start picking favorites. Listen get me in trouble where, let me ask you not your favorite where are you where are the places you're a regular oh my goodness i'm a regular so many places but there are i have to say next time you come to new orleans there are absolutely wonderful i live in a neighborhood uptown that you i could walk to restaurants around this place that are that are really amazing some that are fancy and some that are not so quite not quite fancy i'm going to come on a food tour with john that's what I'm with, without you jennifer without that's you require a whole new episode to talk about we'll do it in new orleans we'll do so, it when everything comes out thank you again john sure thank Have you so day. much thank okay you. wow wow a lot of information I i'm know. like information overload and I you know. with the talking oh I'm exhausted listening to that i know it's fantastic. No, he's an amazing. That's, this is a uh, this may be a James Beard award-winning show. You have to understand how. I'm glad powerful. I wore a tie. And you didn't wear a tie. And it's a James Beard award-winning show. I'm going to actually submit this for the James Beard Awards, right? I think that the industry is going to look back at this moment and look at the work of the Business Interruption Group, mm -hmm. whether they have that insurance or not, whether they're going to get a few dollars or not that the things that come from this effort are going to be some of the cornerstone elements of building the future of the hospitality industry, period. I agree. And do we have tomorrow? Oh, you know who's coming on with us tomorrow? No. The one, the only, John Boyajin from Boyajin Incorporated. John Bon Jovi? John Boyajian. John Boyajian. Love him. I love that music. He's the king of um of the world's most um high quality flavored oils, but he's been in the special mm. food business for 40 years. He's a pioneer in the category. I hope he can figure out how to use the technology if he's been doing this for 40 years. We seem to have a little techno issue sometimes. I love this man. And He's got a lot of friends in the business. All Jennifer. right, well, let's talk to him tomorrow. Let's say good night, Jennifer. Please hug your kids, count your blessings, and be hopeful. It's going to be okay. It's going to be okay. Unless Jennifer keeps talking.